Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who says that your New Year's resolution should not be to change yourself, but to be yourself. Here is the cap. Yeah, don't call it a comeback. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very excited to be featuring Bourbon County brand Bananas Foster by the brilliant brewers over at Goose Island Beer Company. This is a delicious and decadent American imperial style aged in bourbon barrels with bananas and cassia bark. I think it is a little boozy, which I like, but it also has a nice sweet finish. This is an adult dessert in a glass. ABV is high at 13.9% and the bottle is big at 16.9 ounces so drink this one at home in your garage garage grade let's ring in the new year with some trumpets please five out of five bottle caps (laughs) and here are a couple of thank yous to our beer fund friends first up a long distance cheers to jarmo kula over in germany and a big we like to jib to heather in norcross Georgia. Next up, we have Loana in Transylvania, and last but certainly not least, we have Melody in Riverside, California. Happy New Year to everyone all around the world. Let's all pull together and make 2024 the best year yet, and all strive to be our best selves. Yeah, and if you can't tell, Captain and the Colonel, we're a little under the weather. But like boys to men, we're kicking it just for you. <laughs> So let's ring in the new year with the first BWRUN beer run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, make sure you subscribe to our show off the record on Patreon or Apple subscription. And Colonel, that's enough of the BSNS. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Richard Allen is charged with killing Abby Williams and Libby German. Pagan ritualistic sacrifice tied to Odinism. 
According to this court document, Richard Allen's defense attorneys claim there was, quote, an obscene amount of evidence linking Odinism to the crime scene, where the bodies of Abby Williams and Libby German were found. According to Allen's defense attorneys, evidence at the crime scene like sticks and branches arranged in symbols around the girls' bodies and another symbol on a tree nearby point to Abby and Libby being sacrificed in, quote, some sort of pagan ritual. Main deity is the god Odin. Today, the beliefs have become popular with white supremacy groups. Richard Allen is charged with killing Abby Williams and Libby German. Allen confessed to murdering the girls to his wife while talking to her on the phone from prison. From prison. Allen confessed from prison. On Monday, February 13th, 2017, at 2.07 p.m., 14-year-old Liberty German posted a picture of her best friend, 13-year-old Abigail Williams, to Snapchat. The photo of Abigail, best known to friends and some relatives as Abby, shows the youngster walking across the Monon High Bridge, located in a rural part of Carroll County, Indiana. Liberty, fondly called Libby by many of those closest to her, captured the image of her friend and using her cell phone, she posts the picture on social media. The two girls were not heard from again after that. The family searched deep into the dark night looking for their girls. Sadly, it would not be until the next day, a little after noon, when the girls' bodies were found about a half mile or so away from the Monin High Bridge. Someone had moved them from the very public property of the bridge to one of the quiet, rarely traveled corners of Ron Logan's large, privately owned property. It was quickly ruled a double homicide, and the search for the killer or killers started in Carroll County and then spread across the nation. After many twists and a nearly six-year investigation involving several law enforcement agencies, which included the Indiana State Police and the FBI, an arrest was announced. It was on October 31, 2022, that the Indiana State Police finally announced that local Carroll County, Indiana resident, Richard Allen, had been charged with two counts of murder in the case. He was in his 40s at the time of the murders and worked at a Delphi, Indiana CVS store. He admitted to police detectives that he was there at the Monon High Bridge on the day that the girls were last seen. While he admits to being there, at the scene around the time that the girls were last heard from, he has pleaded not guilty to the charges of murder. The twists and turns continue in this case, even after the arrest that finally came after so many months, years, and prayers. There's been questions of the suspect's sanity and safety. The introduction of a cult killer ritualistic murders theory suspected corruption within Indiana's correctional facilities and leaked to the public murder scene photographs. We are here to bring you up to speed. This is True Crime Garage. 
Richard Allen is charged with killing Abby Williams and Libby German. Allen confessed to murdering the girls to his wife while talking to her on the phone from prison. From prison. Allen confessed from prison. Longtime listeners of Off the Record are already aware of the gentleman joining us here in the garage today. He goes by the name Fig. We've talked with him. He's been one of our allies over the years in this very strange and bizarre Delphi double murder case that's been ongoing, unfortunately, since 2017 when Abby and Libby were killed. And now that we sit here all these years later with an arrest, there's been many updates over the past few months and some strange news coming out of the Indiana state regarding this case. And we thought that we'd bring Fig into the garage with us to have a interesting discussion about all of the updates and things that have happened in this case. And some of it is a bit of a delay in, in the not so speedy process of, of the justice for these girls. It's been delayed for so long now. Some of it is worth diving into and and very interesting topics of discussion regarding this case. And for me, a lot of these topics came about in September of 2023. And as we close out 2023 and welcome in 2024, we also have some interesting court proceedings that will be taking place, hopefully in January, scheduled for January. And I'm hoping for no more delays in this case. So welcome once again into the garage, Fig. Hey, thanks for, for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, lots of, lots of things going on with this case right now. And Captain, one thing we wanted to talk about in this case that's been ongoing since the or early goings in this case is the social media madness. And I know, Fig, you're seeing certain things that maybe we haven't seen, and we've certainly seen our fair share or much more than we wanted to see throughout the years. But let's talk a little bit about the social media madness that surrounds this case. So, yeah, I think what happened with this case, people got into it with good intentions, maybe wanting to help, where people started trying to identify a person of interest, per se, And then once the Richard Allen arrest happened, and if they've already stated who their person of interest was in public on social media or YouTube or a podcast, then when it didn't turn out that way, I think what happened was they didn't want to lose maybe their listeners or credibility. So instead of just saying, hey, uh, maybe we're wrong because we didn't have all the evidence, it seemed like they doubled down on whoever that person of interest was. So instead of them being wrong, what they did was say, Nope, it's law enforcement is wrong. They're corrupt. They're the problem, not me. I'm the all-knowing one. So it just turned into this, almost this game. And it just, it's been nasty ever since the Richard Allen arrest. I don't know what you guys have noticed. Well, me and you have talked about it several times. To have this position as a a spectator, really, to say that you know more than law enforcement law enforcement knows in this case is just absolutely ridiculous yeah there's no sense to it i think we talked about kind of the wheel of fortune analogy on the phone where if you're looking at the letter board there as a outsider looking in we only have one or two letters up on that wheel of fortune board and law enforcement's going to have a lot more than us now could they guess wrong could they make mistakes sure but they have a lot more information than we do so sometimes we have to drop the ego and just follow their lead. But also if they are making a mistake, 
No, we could we could realize that. Well, and the other thing too, you, you guys are both spot on there. Yes, law enforcement does have more than we have. Will they have they made mistakes? Yeah, I think we've seen mistakes or errors that they've made along the way. But you know, one of my favorite quotes is an an error only becomes a mistake when one fails to correct it. And so we ended up with an arrest in this case. And I think it's a lot of what you're saying, Fig, as far as the motivation behind some of these really loud voices and frankly, loud, annoying voices to me. It's we we begged and we're pleading for an arrest for all of these years and we finally get one. And you're right. And it's like, I think that for some people, and this is not the only case that I've seen this type of behavior, this type of behavior is amplified times 10. But I think that it's one of those situations where you have this polarizing case, this case that captivates a a town, a city, a region, even parts of the nation. And because it becomes such a big case on that front, I think that there are are a small, very small percentage of people out there that think that this case has to be something incredibly complicated. It has to be, there must be a reason why it took forever for there to, to be an arrest that was made. Frankly, this is not the movies. Okay. Yes. Are there complicated cases out there? Yes. Are there complicated, complex perpetrators, murder suspects out there? Yes. The, the Zodiac Killer comes to mind right away. Complete, off-the-rails, complex individual that's, that's making a game out of his killings. This, unfortunately, is, and I say unfortunately just simply because it happened, because of the loss of life here, but it's, we said this from, from Jump Street. This case, to me, never appeared to be that complicated. The investigation was going to be complicated, but the case itself never appeared to be that complicated. From day one, it appeared to me to be a sexually motivated homicide. And likely, I thought, given the location, the venue, if you will, that it was probably a stranger on stranger crime. And, and I say that not because I felt that right away, but after days of this thing, within days of this thing not being solved, not having a hot lead on a good suspect, that felt to me like we're charting into the waters of stranger on stranger crime. And I think that the general public need to pump the brakes a little bit and understand how complicated that is for law enforcement. So if you wanted a complicated case, if you wanted a complicated suspect, good news, you got one. You got one. Stranger on stranger crimes are incredibly difficult for law enforcement to to crack. And for for reasons that are both obvious and not so obvious to the general public. But you know, the thing that drives me mad is the the leaps that some people are willing to make to support their argument. This is not your case. This is not your burden to bear. This is not your great war that you are fighting. Okay? This you you want to tell me that, that a dead man who who and this is this is going to start to lead into our next topic here. 
But you want to tell me that a dead man that was financially uh, not sound, that was had rough around the edges uh, personality, difficulties with relationships, you want to tell me that he had such a he has such a grip and a power hold on so many people of this community that we got to start getting into some weird and bizarre, crazy conspiracy theories. It just doesn't add up, man. It doesn't add up. I think that's what happens when you start with the conclusion. You start with, yep, Ron Logan did this. And then you try and fill in as many blanks to make it point that direction. Instead of just looking at it holistically and seeing or taking a new evidence. To me, the Richard Allen arrest, that is new evidence that needs to go into your, your, uh, you know, your whole thought process where Remember the day that Richard Allen was arrested. I thought it was awesome how Becky posted that that image of the old bridge guy sketch. Like we got him. And then I saw other people posting, nope, it's absolutely not him. It's still Ron Logan. It's not Richard Allen. On the day one of his arrest, when it was announced, like, how would you even know that? No one knew if he was guilty or innocent at that point. Let's take a step back, let some information come in, and, and then we can make decisions. So like when the the probable cause affidavit for his arrest came out there. I got some more information then. Wow. This guy was on the bridge and there was a picture of a man on the bridge that day. And then you could start logically piecing things together and making a decision. Well, and a sad state of affairs and really some bizarre and disgusting behavior. As far as I'm concerned, you know, before, even before Richard Allen was arrested, I spoke to several people in the Carroll County that lived in Carroll County, and they told me, Nick, you won't believe what's going on here. There are, we, we have, you know, flyers still up justice for the girls, seeking justice for the girls, help wanted information wanted. Do you know these, this man, those type of flyers posted up around Delphi and throughout Carroll County. And I had several individuals independently of one another tell me the exact same thing. Can you believe that there are people in this community that are going around and taking down the flyers before the arrest of Richard Allen, mind you, taking down these flyers because they are telling everyone I'm taking it down because the real killer is dead. And here, here's from where I sit, though, Fig and, and Captain, what I see as far as the social media madness goes. The, it seems like the loudest, most aggressive behavior is coming from those that are that don't know the families, that are not from Delphi, that are not from Carroll County, that are from other states. In fact, are you guys seeing the same thing? Yeah, uh, for sure. It, it's weird that that's happening. And it's another way of saying it. It's all the people who guessed wrong on who the killer was, I would say that they're very vocal and they're making the noise. They're trying to prove that corruption took place. And it's just, it's appalling. I don't know what your thoughts are, Captain. Yeah, I, I think I differ from you guys a little bit because I, I do think these voices on the internet or through YouTubes, whether it's through podcasts or it's just people making posts online, I, I think initially all this came from because law enforcement was asking the public for help. So people felt invested into this case. And then I think also law enforcement has made a couple missteps. We have the change. We ha they release one sketch. We have a change in sketch. 
They don't give us really much of an explanation. Doesn't seem like they give the family much of an explanation of why the the sketch changed. And then when they do make an arrest, I think they made a misstep by saying, well, there also might be somebody else involved. So anybody that made a prediction or said, you know, there's a bunch of evidence that points to 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 Ron Logan or to some other individual that was there that day, that's their argument. Well, hey, law enforcement told us it could be Richard Allen plus somebody else. You know, now are people going about it the wrong way or or, or speaking about it the wrong way? Possibly, but I, I, I do think initially all this came from a, a place of wanting to help and to want to find justice for Abby and Libby. And that's where my head was too. I thought that's how I explained away or rationalized some of that behavior away for the longest time. These are people that just want to help. And, but, but then it continued after the arrest and it actually, it changed and and morphed into something different. And that was surprising. It's shocking. Some of the behavior, and I don't want to really get to a point where we start singling out certain types of behavior. I think that the people that are super dialed into this case know what we're talking about. And and we need to kind of stay with a, a broad brush here because there's some pretty hardcore people in different realms of the internet being incredibly aggressive. Some talks of even persons spying on people close to the case, documenting their movements via pictures and journals and, and time cards and things of that nature. And, and I don't know that we've been, I know that some podcasters and YouTubers have been kind of singled out. I don't know that we have, or we've been mentioned in that group. I don't, I don't want to, frankly, I don't want to fall out of favor or become a target of, of any of these groups. Cause they're, they're who know, who knows what they, they would be capable of, but it, it's just surprising to me to see that people so far away geographically to the case are spending this much time and trying to, to discredit so many people that are close to the case. And frankly, the most appalling part is the still the the disgusting rumors that they're trying to create about some of the family members of the victims i th- for me i i will never ever be able to understand how anybody could could do that could say those things it's i guess that they they must have lived such a nerfy life and never have experienced any kind of tragedy at all that they that because of that maybe they've completely lack compassion for their fellow man. Right. And and like Captain said, maybe it did start off with trying to help, but then it eventually became about these individuals and, and themselves and their ego, them being right. But I think what, what we're alluding to here is there's a line that could be crossed when you're meddling into a case and you live in a different county, different state. I mean, it doesn't matter. you you really shouldn't just meddle with, with any case. Don't interfere. Let law enforcement do their job. If you have tips, tip them in. But to go in and contact either the prosecution or the defense just to try and, you know, sway a decision or 
or just to meddle with the case when you really don't understand it, it just becomes very problematic. And look what happened. The, the trial got delayed a year. Now, Fig, you, you, I think you know more about this th- than I do, uh, and, and maybe I'm misspeaking, so correct me if I'm wrong. But th- these voices, these ideas, these other suspects, is it, is it true that defense reached out to different content creators to basically try to create a narrative for their defense? Yeah, I don't know who reached out to who first, so it could have been the content of the content creators reaching out to them. But yeah, there was definitely um, some contracts put in place and some some content creators that were helping out with the defense team. I had it verified, and I even knew that the defense team was going to be removed about a week before it actually happened because someone let me know that they got a cease and desist letter. They are one of these content creators I'm talking about. So they got the cease and desist before it was announced that they were going to, that the attorneys were going to be removed from the case. So I, I'm I'm pretty sure they were working with them. I don't know if I have a big issue with that. And, and here's why this is my understanding of that situation. It see it does seem bizarre. I want, I want to throw that out there, but my understanding of that situation is this, and this is pretty simplistic here, but that, you know, one, one defense can always be, an alternate suspect or a complete alternate theory presented by the defense opposing the theory or and suspect put forward by the state. That's not unheard of. From my understanding of it, the defense team, the original defense team, and we'll get into more of that in a minute, they were reaching out to not just content creators, but but also I believe even chat rooms, chat groups, and to kind of collectively, what I should say is organize and collect and catalog all of the other discussed theories and suspects out there along the way leading up to the arrest of Richard Allen. Is that is that about right, Fig? Yeah, and I'm not saying it, it wasn't smart to do because, yeah, one of the defense strategies that we'll get into is alternative theories and good storytelling, and that's what they were looking for. They're looking for people who could tell a story and who, frankly, know the case better than them. So it gets into how we were saying these people who follow the case so closely, they've told their lies, they've told stories, and maybe some of them seem pretty credible. So they've already done some groundwork filling in these gaps where some seem plausible. So the defense was contacting them or getting contacted by them and said, yeah, help us weave a story together. I think that's kind of what happened. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch. I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Well, and for, for those that, that, like you said, Fink, latched onto a suspect, fell head over heels in love with a, one particular suspect, and then when the arrest of Richard Allen came out and it wasn't their suspect, then they now they they can't they can't go through the breakup. They they are a complete wreck and mess, and they have to convince everybody that no, they were right. Their suspect is is the one. Look, it's the most simple thing in the world. We've said it f- since day one in the garage. The first thing that you don't do as an armchair sleuth, a web, uh, a web detective, whatever you want to call us, you don't, you don't find your suspect and attempt to build the case around them. You, I mean, we, we spoke with John Anderson last month about the John Benet Ramsey case because he was so close to Lou Smith, who we admire and respect his career so much. Unfortunately, RIP Lou Smith is no longer with us. And he worked the John Benet Ramsey case as good as anybody, in my opinion. He had a list two pages long of suspects in that case. That's what, that's what a real detective does. You, you, you don't exclude anybody until you can exclude them. You always make the mistake. You always make the greatest of errors when you hone in on a specific individual and then you want to put together a PowerPoint presentation of why he's the best suspect. You know, I'm not trying to to pat myself on the back here too much, but we talked about the Delphi case on True Crime Garage for five years and I wrote a damn book about it, never mentioned anybody by name ever, ever, once. Because that's the biggest harm and foul you can make in any of these investigations. People would ask me, who's your guy? And after the arrest, well, were you aware that they that Richard Allen was a good suspect? 
No, no, I wasn't. Hell no. The police weren't even aware that he was a good suspect. And and I, I agree with the captain 100%. I think that, I don't think that that was, I don't think it's law enforcement's fault for saying that other people could still, we've not ruled out the possibility that other players could still be involved. I don't think it's their fault. I agree with what he says. I think that that is, is a bit of the genesis of some of, of the people that are still barking and honking as loud as they can about their suspect opposed to Richard Allen. But I think that that was a reality that maybe people weren't willing to accept, but the science of it and their investigation leading up to the day that they arrested Richard Allen, it was an incomplete investigation. It was an incomplete narrative that Richard Allen killed two girls in the woods that day. It was an incomplete theory that they had. They had a lot of blanks still in that theory. It wasn't that they locked in on Richard Allen and that they 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 built a case against him. No, they decided to go and get a search warrant and found evidence that said he had to have been, he, he was either there or he killed them. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was either there or he killed them. Now we have to make an arrest. And so I think that's why they say that that was a variation to me of saying that our investigation into this specific individual is incomplete. Yeah, and there's there's reasons that we could definitely get into. I, I think they say that. And I, I've seen prosecutors say it in other cases, too, that there there might be other actors involved. Even in the Stephen Avery case, even after they arrested him and his nephew, I read that the prosecutor, they still said, hey, there might still be other people involved. There are reasons why they want to keep it open and not just saying right when they make an arrest. Yep, that's it. We knew it was him and it's no one else. Thank you. Goodbye. Right? They, they still want to keep the door open. And I think sometimes that phrasing is confusing for the public because it makes it seem like there's another individual that's responsible for the murders or was there. And when they say there might be another actor involved, it could just be that somebody knew this information that Richard Allen told. Maybe he told his daughter. Maybe he told one of his friends. There could be another actor involved as far as maybe not so much the, the, the killings themselves, but maybe covering up and and helping protect Richard Allen so he doesn't get arrested. And there's some people out there that are scratching their heads and they say, Captain, how does that work? Well, uh, let me give a, a prime example and a, a real life true example of how that works, how another player could be involved. In the April Tinsley murder, before they finally found her killer, they were looking for and trying to crowdsource and using the public to try to help find the murderer of April Tinsley. And I like, I like examining it from this angle because it's it before, before the murders of Libby and Abby, I think one could make a strong argument that the murder of April Tinsley and probably the burger chef murders were the two or two of the most infamous unsolved homicide cases in the state of Indiana. So later they would arrest an individual, and this was only after doing the familial DNA, which was not something that was that they were typically doing in Indiana, in the state of Indiana, prior to this. So when they finally make the arrest, we learn a couple of things that were possibilities in in this case. 
So John Miller is the one who was arrested, and he's arrested in July of 2018. Prior to that, they had done, they had gone to everywhere you could think of to try to get help in solving this little girl's murder. Okay, so this was investigated by the FBI. They were brought in. They went to America's Most Wanted, Crime Watch Daily. The genetic detective uh, show was was after the fact, after the arrest. But they reached out to to everyone that they could to try to crowdsource this thing. The America's Most Wanted on the April Tinsley case is fascinating to watch. That is when they start really telling the public, like, here's all a bunch of new information that's new to the public, but not new to our investigation. We've been holding on all of this stuff for for years, hoping that something would come of it. And now we've decided last resort, public, please help us. So in one of the, the, the bits of information that was new to the public was a picture. So th- this criminal, this murderer, John Miller, he took a picture of himself exposing his the lower half of his body and left it with a threatening note to a little girl years later. They knew, based off of scientific evidence, that that note, that threatening note, was written and left by the same person that killed April Tinsley. In the background of that photograph, you could see a bedspread. Police were were honing in on that and telling the public, look, either identify the man in this photograph or could you identify this bedspread that you can see behind the individual? Another player involved, and we do not know because John Miller has never expanded on this, and his mother is dead. She passed before he was arrested. But it later came out that it's believed that his mother recognized the bedspread in the picture on the news and called him not knowing we we cannot say 100% conclusively that she knew that that he killed April Tinsley but what we can say is we know based off of several sources she told John Miller if you still got that bedspread you should probably get rid of it so that would be an example of players involved without having 100% direct knowledge that the person was the actual killer. Right. So you guys are making great points. It's because there's other bad actor. <clears throat> doesn't mean it's, there's a murderer, another person involved in the murders. There's accessory after the fact there's, there's other criminal activity such as obstruction of justice, uh, failure to report a crime, aiding and abetting, tampering with evidence, withholding information such as the mom and even financial support. If someone helped, um, you know, with, with money so that they could get away or hide out or, you know, some logistical support, there's things like that, that, that are crimes and that are, you're participating in the murders, but not by doing the actual murdering, not doing the actual murdering. And they also say bad actors because they want to keep the investigation open, which is smart because you don't want to get told as we alluded to earlier about. Uh, saying that there was tunnel vision and they didn't do due diligence on all these other suspects, right? That they were locked in, that law enforcement were locked in on on Ron Logan and they didn't look at anyone else because the defense will use that against you later on in court. But also while you say there's other bad actors involved because it keeps investigation open, like you said, it, it could open up more tips, uh, more witnesses might come forward when you give out certain information. Like in the case that you mentioned, 
um, resource allocations, money, uh, you know, law enforcement, it's a, it's a business. And if you say the case is closed, well, they're going to take out funding. They're going to think that no, no, you no longer need funding to support this case. So you don't want that. Uh, you want to keep getting funds to keep doing investigations, keep going through tips. Sometimes you might need even more resources once, once an arrest is made. Um, and yeah, so those are kind of reasons to say that there are other bad actors involved and that you want to keep the investigation open. And all those other possibilities that you just mentioned there, Fig, makes me wonder about a very specific item that the state would love to have in this case. And I'm basing this off of the search warrants that were for Ron Logan's property and the search warrant for Richard Allen's house. If you read through, if you read word for word through those search warrants, through those affidavits, you will find that police were looking for a specific electronic device. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree with me on that fig? A specific electronic device that they did not find at Ron Logan's house or they would have arrested him. To my knowledge, they have not found that item at Richard Allen's house either. And so where we say there could be somebody who's done something in this case, I here we sit, we wonder what's up with that electronic device and is that something that we'll, we will hear about? And I hate to phrase it this way, but should this thing ever get to trial? Yeah, and that's the thing. We don't know yet what they found at Richard Allen's house. That's that's what I wouldn't that's what I want to know is what what items did they actually find? We know what was put out there was the items that they took, but what did they find on those? That's still unknown. They took hard drives, they took computers, they took flash drives, uh, they took a bunch of cell phones, knives. But we don't know yet if one of those were the murder weapon, if maybe the electronic device, you know, they found some evidence on um, on one of those flash drives or even in his car that they looked at. They, I know they swabbed the seatbelt. I think they swabbed in the trunk of his car. Maybe he put the murder weapon in there and they used luminol and they, you know, got a hit and they found something. We still don't know. Well, I'd love to hear the confession to his wife. Yeah, to his wife and his mom. And I mean, yes, con- context matters for sure. I want to hear it too. So I'm trying not to make too much judgment. But as I sit and try to think, how do you say it five and six times? You know, the defense acknowledged this and the prosecution acknowledged this. Like, how do you do that five or six times, like without being incriminating? Like, is it a jo- Are you joking five to six times? Are you being sarcastic five to six times? Like, how does that go down? without being incriminating of yourself, without really trying to confess to it. And I'll hear, well, false confessions happen all the time. Well, I don't know about all the time, but that's usually when you're confessing to law enforcement during an interrogation or a false confession is some loony person calling up saying that they did it. Now, confessing over the phone to your wife and mother, that's a lot different. After you've been arrested and incarcerated for that that specific crime, and I I I love that you say, fake that uh, you're presented with this idea from others that false confessions happen all the time. I'm I'm with you. Can you imagine if they did happen all the time? How messed up the the justice system would be. We nothing would ever get to court. Right, right. I don't think people realize how many people get arrested for murder per year in the United States. And you start looking at the stats on false confessions. 
Uh, it's probably smaller than people think. So then we get this in- interesting information. We're going to back up to September, right? So mid to late September, this Odinist theory comes out. And what that leads into is some discovery or photos that are leaked in early October. So I'll give you the kind of short of it, and then we'll get into this mess here. So the defense attorneys for Richard Allen, they in September, they sent out this memorandum in support of a Franks hearing that they were requesting. So during this memorandum or throughout this memorandum, they are outlining an alternative murder theory that the girls were killed in ritualistic fashion by members of a white supremacist cult called Odinism. Later, prosecutor Nick McLean offered a comment to the media in which he called the theory, quote, fanciful defense for social media to devour, end quote. He described the defense team's 136-page memorandum as, quote, colorful, dramatic, and highly unprofessional. Now, this, the timing of this sucked on my end, right? Because I went out to CrimeCon late September. You know, my book, The Delphi Murders, came out late April, early May. And so this, this bit of information was not it was it was not in in a form that was fully digestible i would say that's how i would like to catalog it at the time going into crime con but this was the question that i think i got hit with the most while there was what do you think of this odinism stuff and if i had to let's pretend that i was doing like a taking a poll right and I'm just simply basing this off of very brief conversations because I did not want to have conversations with people about this particular item of the case when, as as said, I had I cataloged it as not fully digestible at the time, right? And I do not love to engage in depth in-depth conversation about something that I have not had the time or given the information or materials to review beforehand. But if I were to have taken a poll, I would say that out of all the people that I spoke to or that asked me a question about it, I would say about 15% seemed to believe in it. Maybe 20, 25% dismissed it. And then everybody else was in the middle, didn't really know what to make of it. And I was in a, I was in a venue that, that had over a thousand people that love to talk true crime. So I was in the right place just at the wrong time. What were, what were your guys's, I guess, first, maybe your initial reaction to this information when it came out? And then how do you feel about it since then? Um, figure our guests. So we'll start with you. Um, whenever there's new information, I, I take it in like, all right, let's, let's see. <clears throat> I was just, I understood that this was written by the defense and they obviously have motivation to make their client look innocent. So I kept that in the back of my mind, but I read through it and it was, it was a story. And since I kind of knew some of the people who might've been involved with this and heard some of their stories before, it seemed kind of some recycled things, but I was just like, well, where's the evidence? If there's multiple people there, then there should be more likely that DNA is left there. Could you place these people at the crime scene? 
were there witnesses who saw multiple people? Um, it just, it didn't seem very likely because the more complex, the more people involved, I think the probability of it being likely go down. So I thought it was unprofessional, especially when they were, they unnecessarily kept saying that, you know, Abby was killed. It was slow and agonizing and just things that didn't add any value to the motion that they were trying to write. They didn't get to it until the very end of the 136 pages. And just the, the title of it, members of a pagan Norse religion called Odinism hijacked by white nationalists, ritualistically sacrificed Libyan Abbey. I just, a national inquirer just popped in my head when I first read that. And it's, yeah, you have to explain why would white nationalists kill two white girls? You have to explain that. And if it was this uh, ritual, like how often do they do it? Is it, when's the last time that it happened? Uh, was this their first time? And since, since we know the family has spoken out and said that this trip that the girls took to the trails was kind of sp spontaneous, right? It was, they weren't really sure if they, uh, Libby wasn't sure if she had a ride. So they show up, right? So how, if, if it was this, uh, you know, this ritual, they didn't have the victims planned out. Like how would they know that Libby and Abby were going to be there after they set everything up? They're just hoping that two girls, two white girls would walk across. I mean, it just. I don't know. It, it didn't pass the BS meter uh, for me. It was a lot of BS. Well, and Fig, could you explain to the audience, this This was not the first time that you've heard of this theory. All right. So there's been, it's been talked about, especially like the, like the F being on a tree. Is it an F? Is it blood spatter? No one, no one really knows, but people's minds run wild. Um, so before this came out, I heard about it. And this will kind of get into some of the leaks because the leaks that we talk about it, it wasn't just the photos of the crime scene that was leaked. There was other leaks and this was the beginning of it where I heard about this maybe starting in June or July and definitely a lot in September that the defense was writing this story and they're going to blame it on Odinism. And I thought it was a joke, right? We all get sent lots of stuff and lots of things and rumors and I had to go back after the thing came out and look at look at the emails and like, wow, okay, they were right. But yeah, this is one thing that was made clear where I, I thought it was a joke and I didn't even pay much attention to it until it came out. And there was rumors that there, this was possibly connected to uh, a biker gang and, and that came out years ago. And, and I think some people then took that theory and then morphed it into this Odinism theory. Yeah. There's the biker gang stuff. You know, just people, they see stuff on TV because remember they did that, that motorcycle run kind of, um, in tribute of the girls and people are like, oh, it's gotta be a biker then just because they saw bikers on, on TV and they tie in the meth because they probably watch sons of anarchy and they think that bikers mean drugs and there's a you know history of, of drug abuse in the area. And so they just try to connect all these things and it's just, there's no, there's no evidence. There's nothing that places those people at the crime scene like it does Richard Allen's shell casing. I, and one thing, you know, I know the captain knows this because of his lengthy music career. And I know he's played in similar gigs uh, that involve this kind of effort. But I think that something that one thing that the general public may not be fully aware of is that these these biker runs, when you're doing 
uh, a fundraiser, they're incredibly valuable. They are very charitable groups. And if you're really trying to raise money quick for, for something, that is a, is a great way to kickstart your fundraising efforts is with these different, different biker groups, the biker runs and things of that nature. Yeah. So it was the, the Odinist theory is what the defense tried to use to come up with a compelling story to create an alternative theory. And they made it more like a press release because the very beginning of that memorandum, the 136 page manifesto, as they call it, is, uh, says, hey, if you've never heard of the case before, like it starts with a statement like that, meaning it's obvious they were trying to get it out to the public because, of course, if it was meant just to go strictly to the courts, the people who are supposed to only read it, they've heard of the case before. I believe the prosecutor's podcast did a great job of breaking down what the motion was supposed to be about, but this was simply just for the defense to put out an alternative narrative. And I think one of the brilliant things that they did was, and you've seen this in in other biopics with like O.J. Simpson and, and other cases like that, we don't have to defend everything. We have to tell a better story. And I think one of the brilliant things that they did was naming the names that they did name you start diving into Richard Allen online, there's not a lot there. Some of the people they named, there's a lot there, and there's a lot of weird stuff, and there's a lot of weird online activity by these individuals. And so you get the public, I mean, they name names, and then the public then goes and looks into these individuals and goes, well, these guys seem a little crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think they name people that were weird and into this Odinism stuff. The main person that they named, I've heard of him before and always had an alibi. And then they even mention it in the memorandum. Well, this person had an alibi. They were at work and I believe it was on video. Like at least her car was. So then they brought up Charles Manson after that. Well, maybe if he wasn't there, maybe he was, you know, the mastermind behind it and had other people do his bidding for him. So it just kind of got like they didn't even fully believe it, that they knew he had an alibi. And then they said uh, one of the other gentlemen, I won't name names, was had a really weak alibi because he was at home. And home is a really weak alibi. And then they proceeded to give Rick Allen's alibi, stating that Rick Allen was at home. So it's like you're saying it's a weak alibi for one guy, but then the alibi you give Rick Allen during the time of the murders was he was at home. So they kind of contradicted themselves a little bit in that memorandum. Well, and th- this whole idea, I think, was I here's where I think the seed was planted with some people. Way back when, when the previous prosecutor, Robert Ives, and in several interviews, he says that there were signatures at the crime scene, the crime scene was odd. It seems like everybody not just honed in on, but they they heard that loud and clear. That statement from Robert Ives loud and clear. What they didn't, what they didn't hear, or what a lot of the people did failed to hear, is he follows that statement up with saying, Well, at most murder scenes, there's a lot of things that are odd. And that that is so true. And given the venue, given that this is an out 
door scenario, we are going to, one would anticipate seeing different odd aspects of this crime scene than one would in an indoor murder scene. We, we have that seed that is planted with some, and now it's like, holy shit, these, by the grace of God, two sticks fell on each other in, a, in, in this form and landed on the ground, and holy hell, it must mean something. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm with you, Fig. I thought that, it, and I agree with what prosecutor Nick McLeland is saying, that it's a fanciful defense for the social, for social media to devour. And devour they did. Um, it was colorful, as he said. It was dramatic, as he said. Highly unprofessional? I don't know. It's, it is their job to defend this individual. It is their job to, to present other theories and maybe even other suspects. And here's what's weird. Like, so if they, you know, they are reaching out, they're talking and they're kind of cataloging a a collective of other theories and suspects and things like that. What's interesting about this, this theory and choosing this one, because that's what they did. Ultimately, they chose this theory over several others, but this one also provides something that many of the other theories does not provide. One, it provides an alternative suspect suspects an alternative motive, an alternative narrative, but it also now tells the public not only did they get the wrong guy, but the guy that they got locked up, he's a victim too. He's a victim too in this. Find a little spot in your heart for this guy. Here's what I think they did. I think they started going through every podcast, every YouTube channel, every online forum, and said, what story, what narrative can we tell that also will account for what our client has already done? Our client is now arrested. Our client has now confessed to multiple individuals. How can we, we need to find a narrative that also will account for why he did this. Why did he confess? Well, he only confessed because these members of the Odinism are connected with law enforcement and connected with prison guards. And the prison guards basically forced him to confess. And it's, it's a, you know, <laughs> the, the story is lunacy, but they had to find a narrative. Like you said, they had to do their job and they found uh, outlandish story that basically connects all the dots. You have to really go out on a limb to believe all this stuff. They probably realize that people don't pay much attention to detail because in that statement about in the memorandum about the prison guards kind of threatening Rick Allen, there's a footnote on that page footnote 15 that basically says, well, this never actually happened, but it could, it could have happened. So people skip that footnote over and they're just like, oh, see, the guard threatened him. It's like, no, read the whole page. Read the footnote at the bottom. They're sneaky. It says that that didn't actually happen, but it, it, it could have happened. Well, and if we want to go down the road of every time that a, a member of the corrections or an inmate or somebody else being housed in a jail threatens somebody being ach- accused of killing a child or children that there must be some greater conspiracy involved. Uh, That's a commonplace thing that happens 
in not just Carroll County, Indiana. It happens everywhere in damn near every country on this planet. When you have a person accused of these types of crimes, it's not terribly uncommon for them to be threatened or maybe even harassed. I, I look, I can't control the inmate population. I wish that corrections members of corrections would not do it, but look, it happens. It's it it's and it's going to continue to happen. And I love what you said there, Fig, because that's the thing. When I thought, okay, right after CrimeCon, I, I told several people there that if they really poked the bear enough, I said, look, this is all I, I've not had time to 100% go through everything that is out there at the moment, because I think this actually came out on the day that I was traveling to Orlando. And so I'm trying to pick up bits and pieces of it as best that I can, because I kept getting asked questions about it. But I, when digging into it, I, same thing. It's like, okay, cool. You guys released three, 136 pages that are supposed to be in support of this theory and while why you should get this Franks hearing, which which initially correct me if I'm wrong, Fig, that the Franks hearing was to dispute that they should have ever gotten the uh, search warrant for Richard Allen in the first place. And so, but within this 130 page document, you multiple times you contradict yourself, and also say like it is our belief, and we found reason to believe this, but oh, there's also no evidence to support this. Like what? Like, so we're just going to pull shit out of thin air now and, and present it in, in a, a court document. Yeah. I mean, and kind of worse than that is when they said that there were, they, they tried to connect them to the crime scene, the, the Odinist folks. And the one guy looked like they were placing the most blame on, um, who had the mental capacity of a seven or eight year old, who lived 130 miles away and didn't have a car, that person, it just seemed like they didn't have enough on them. So what they did was they, they said that there were horns placed at the, at the crime scene because this individual said that he helped place horns on one of the victim's heads. So horns or antlers, something like that. And that we'll get into the crime scene photo stuff, but that's just not true. There, were, there weren't any horns or antlers. I want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage for this Delphi Murders update. Join us back here in the garage for part two. And you know what to do. Be good, be kind, and don't litter. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.